Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something. I live in Burbank, and since Joanne moved out here, I gave her the parking spot in the garage. And what I've noticed, and even when I come to the studio, people just do not know how to park out here. Now, in my neighborhood, it's Tuesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, street cleaning. So when I get back from the studio, it's two to four. I have to scramble around my neighborhood. And I, I, well, I've silently I've parked like five blocks away. But what amazes me is how people just waste space. It's like they sit there, instead of pulling up like that extra foot and so you can fit another car in, they never do. And I called a lady out on it the other day. She parked just like the, the worst parking job ever. Like there was two cars and there was a big spot. She parked and I was like, excuse me, you know, what are you doing? You're taking up the space. She's like, I don't give a crap. And I was looking and I felt, I didn't feel, I felt bad for her, but I felt bad for her kids because they're going to be just grow up just being rude and not being team players. And it really sucks. So hopefully, I've actually, I left a note in one guy's car one time. He had like a big trans, you know, a medical van thing. You think he parks smartly. I just wrote, do you know you park like a douchebag? And I was like, you know, I don't need this because it's, you want to park. Anyway, nothing about that. We have a great show today. We have a we have a, a, a amazing drummer, which I got to tell you, Ray. His name's Ray Luzier. I got to tell you, my buddy's a drummer and uh, amateur drummer. And when I told him you were coming on the show, he did he checked it out. And then we went and we watched your uh, the it was it from Anaheim? It was the Bonham show, hmm. and it, you just it was a tribute. And yeah. it was in the term you know the term monster, and that's like anything comedy <laughs> or music. My buddy, we were at a bar, and he goes, "Man, check this out. That dude Ray's a monster because you broke like." three sticks in like the first minute. This guy was in awe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a tapper. That, that was fun. We did a uh, tribute to John Bonham, of course, you know, and like 27 drummers got up and uh, we each had to play on, you know, John Bonham's setup and we, with minimal changes. So it was really cool to to do that, you know, because like <clears throat> a lot of drummers cry, I got to have this, I have to have this. But just shut up and play, you know, let's, let's play, pay tribute to him. And it was awesome. No practice. Like they just showed up and they said, okay, here's the kit. Well, we had, yeah, we had a rehearsal. Like okay. there was a day, we, you literally ran through the song. Obviously, you know, Zeppelin, us musicians, it flows through our veins. So if you don't know almost every Zeppelin song, there's something right. wrong with you, you know. But it was awesome to pay homage to him and, and play on that kit because you always hear the crybabies out there. This isn't my drum, so right. it's always an excuse, you know, like, come on, shut up and play. So so you're from Pittsburgh, right outside Pittsburgh. Yeah. Now, and I, I read some background on it. As once in a while, as, you know, when you when you read, you do your research, I notice like sometimes Wikipedia and stuff is wrong. But yeah. as I read, you started playing drums when you were five? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I, I played piano in church when I was four. It's really weird. Like, uh, and the weirdest thing about it is there's no musicians in my family. That's nobody. what I was going to ask you. If you. Yeah, it's a weird thing. There's nobody uh, that, <laughs> that you know, you think, I'm, I'm jealous like that, you know, Brooks Wackham and his brothers are like these phenomenal, insane virtuoso drummers, and they, or somebody's dad might be a classical composer. Always, we, my parents always played music all the time. There was always Chuck Berry, Elvis, the Beatles, you know. Ted Nugent to, to, you know, I call it redneck rock, Leonard Skinner, all that stuff, because we grew up on a farm, 118 acres. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love I loved that stuff. So I heard the other day, I heard Green Grass and High Tides by the Outlaws. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a great song. I mean, it that's is. like, I mean, I'm 50, so I, I, I remember, like, you know, when all those bands were big, like, Southern Rock was, was yeah. amazingly giant. Yeah, totally. So you just, you just, what made you start playing the piano? Like, one day you just said, you went into church and said, I'm going to play, and then... No, my, my sister, we had, you know, uh, an old beat-up piano in the house, and uh, we had this, like, four-story farmhouse. It was insane. It was just in the middle of nowhere, no neighbors for a mile, you know? <clears throat> and, so, you know, I, I was just messing around on it one day and playing, like, Jingle Bells or something, and they said, there's a church play coming up, why don't you play in that? So I did. And then the next 
within the next year, I started beating on like cassette cases and everything. For those of you who don't, <laughs> you, isn't that scary? Youngins don't know what cass- cassettes are, <laughs> but, but there, you know, th- there was these little cases, and I used to tap on them, and make up a kick drum and a snare drum and cymbal sounds with my mouth and. I'd like that's my ghetto drum kit, you know. I didn't have, so my parents said, "Okay, let's get him something." They got me a, a Muppet kit with Animal on the front, literally. Okay, and I destroyed <laughs> it in like three weeks, just annihilated it. And then the next year, they said when I was six, I go, "Okay, let's get him a kind of a junior pro kit." So I got one of those from a you know from a local music store, and uh, it wasn't really low g- grade stuff, but I just sat there and I was all, always ear trained. I just would play along with the records. I didn't know what the heck I was doing for many years, you know. Well, so you're doing that. You're playing the drums now. Through high school, did you start bands in high school? Because a lot of times, and was there a big? I mean, you lived in a farm town, so I'm guessing your high school wasn't that big. No, super small. I don't even remember how small, but it's wicked small. And like, yeah, I did the whole you know jazz band symphonic concert. We had a mini marching thing, but that's when I started first learning how to like. Okay, there's a little bit of patience involved in this. You don't just get up and start bashing drums. You know, I would grab the cymbals, you know, one in each hand and wait 32 bars for that one crash. And that, that remember, the, remember the Ed Grimley, he's waiting for the triangle yeah. at the very end. That was like me, is waiting, you know, for that one timpani roll. And so that, you don't know discipline at that age. You don't know it's such a young thing. I just wanted to rock out every day to play to rush and kiss and whatever. You know? Now, where would you practice? I know my brother, my brother used to play drums. And I remember as a kid, he had them downstairs at first and it would piss us off because yeah. we wanted, I wanted, I was little, he's older, I wanted to get home, I wanted to watch TV. <laughs> so then they put it on the, in the basement. But the problem with the basement is we had a house where, well, we eventually got a sump pump put in, but the basement would flood. Yeah, oh. So then, then, so his drums wouldn't get ruined because he had the, uh, he had the uh, Ludwig and the Zildjian, yeah. I think that was the names. Yeah. And they, we had a ping pong table, and they broke the ping pong table down to make it a riser for the drums. Yeah. And I was pissed because I wanted to play ping pong. <laughs> but where would you play in the house, and would you drive your family crazy? Hey, you know what, my parents, I can, I can honestly say they were they were 110 percent behind me for, since birth. I don't know why. It's like they they're just super cool. And my bedroom in that farmhouse was actually above there, so it was okay. even worse. I mean, I was freaking playing really really badly for many years to you know i still have cassettes of me it's funny i'm gonna put them on cd i found them last time i was in pennsylvania uh, cassettes of me playing to led zeppelin's physical graffiti and it's just so awful but you could tell there's some kind of hope there you know but i was uh yeah i i, I just they gave me a curfew of 10 o'clock to shut up, and that was about it, you know? See, that's amazing. So then you're playing. Now, did they ever want you to go into the farming life, or did you say, I'm getting out of here? That's the great thing about it, because my allergies got me out of all the farm work. <laughs> Thank God I had allergies. I'd probably be like, I'd have a straw in my, out of my mouth right now, you know, weighing 500 pounds on the farm. But they, uh, it's weird. I'd go out, and it's weird. You go out and bail a hay, you know, a field full of hay, and then take a shower and go to school. I mean, you know, farm. It's funny. I always say like you never know what farm life is unless you experience it. That's so true. City people will never know what that. It, they these, there's no such thing as like oh it's time to stop your work. It's never done. It's never so. It's insane. You get up and you I'd help my neighbor out and he'd, he'd load a whole thing of hay and you just be like ah and you. But I'd come back and my eyes would be swollen up and I'd be sneezing my balls off and I'd be like. This sucks. Right, right. And, I, and the doctor's like, ah, he'll outgrow it. I never outgrow it. And then, Thank God, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and I'd come back from the fields, and my eyes would be all sweating. My mom would just go, just go to your room. Well, my drums were in my room. So I'd 
play for three hours. What's amazing about it is that the thing about the hay is those things are heavy. Yeah. I mean, they don't look because you think, oh, hay, it's light. But when you see those bales, those things are yeah. heavy. Wicked, yeah. And it's, it's you know, my sister's smaller than I am. I'm a pretty small guy, and she still lives on a hundred, or like a 14-acre farm. She has a 100-animal petting zoo in Pennsylvania. She'll pick a bale of hay up with one hand and fling it, and she's doing this, you know, multitasking. It's insane. So so you, you're going to leave town. I know you went to the, came out to L.A. for the Musicians Institute. Yeah, it was like an excuse, like, what do we do now? Like, me, me, I had Is this a, when you got out of high school? Well, yeah. Well, I had a small rock band, like, my last three years. You know, we'd, we'd, we just played locally in this little thing where your dad had to stand against the door because obviously it was 21 and up. So I had a, you know, he had to watch me play and then get off the stage and escort, escort me right back out, you know. And uh, me and the guitar player at the time were talking. We're like, what do we, you know, Paul Gilbert uh, from Mr. Big, um, Richie Kotzen was from Philly, uh, Rat, all these, a lot of big bands and a lot of big musicians were coming out of the, the Pennsylvania area. I know, because it was like, <clears throat> well, because when I, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, yeah. and there used to be a bar called The Galaxy, mm-hmm. and their house band was Bon Jovi, then Poison, then Britney Fox, and it was just, and that was Cinderella, yeah. and it was uh, not Poison, but Cinderella, but that, but there was a lot of music coming out of that area. Yeah. And, and then so my guitar players, he, I was the one saying, let's go to New York. It's a five-hour drive. It's an hour flight away. He's like, no, nah, man, it's not happening there. We have to go to where all these people are going. It's the Sunset Strip. And at that time, the strip was going off. It was Bands were still promoting themselves and handing out flyers. And it was so alive. You could feel the energy, you know. And and, uh, and he says, I says, well, how do we get there? We don't have money to go there. And he's like, we're going to go to that school, Musicians Institute. And it's got, you know, Guitar Institute, drama, everything. And I go, I can't pass the test to get in there. I'm not good. I'm just a rock drummer. I don't know what the heck. I don't know how to play jazz, Latin. He's like, let's just do it. It's a very basic test. And that's what we did. We passed it. And uh, he actually graduated a year before I did. And he painted buildings all year to save up some more money for apartments because, you know, it's expensive in Hollywood. Had knows. you ever been out to L.A. before? Never. So so did you guys get on a plane or did you drive? Or? We, we, my parents, we loaded up. I bought a church maxi wagon van, 15 passenger. We gutted it. There was kick drums and Marshall amps <laughs> hanging out the back. You know, my parents were cool enough to, to you know help us out. We broke down in Ohio. I mean, we broke down so many times on the way out here, you know. But it was we just had that, that dream dangling, you know. And then you get your ass kicked, you know, to say you know 118 acre farm to Hollywood Boulevard. Right. Massive slap upside the head, you know. My mom's like, "What was that noise?" You hear, bop, bop, bop. I'm like, "That was a backfire, ma. That wasn't a gunshot." <laughs> where did you choose to live when you went to the college? Because where is the college? Where is that school located? It's, at? it's right on Hollywood and Highland. It's okay, right in it, you know. And uh, it's gotten better through the years, as you know. You know, it's. It, I used to live when I first moved up here. I lived uh, right between Sunset and Highland. It used to be that crappy old McDonald's, mm-hmm. and right behind it, there was a road called Leland. And I was my, my me and my ex wife were in San Diego, but I was coming up here to try to get stuff started. And I had this little studio. And it was you could hear the hookers like going through the trash cans outside. But I only paid three eighty five, and this is like thirteen, fourteen years ago. I was like, and now it'd be amazing. And you're right, the area though. We used yeah. to go to a bar called the Powerhouse, I, yep. and you'd walk down the street, and you'd always get accosted by somebody. Like yep. you'd have to go with like three of you because there'd yep. always be like one crazy homeless guy sitting there yep. going, "Hey, telling you some story." And I didn't know because I'm off the farm. I don't even know. I've never went to Pittsburgh except to right. see Kiss and Motley Crue. <laughs> so I don't know what the city life. So, and I'm going down. I'm like. They're like, hey, give me a give me a quarter. And I'm like, okay, I guess you give these guys quarters. I don't know. And every day I'd pass the same homeless dude. I'm like, dude, I give you money every day. I'm broke. What am I? What am I doing? You know. And then I'd give him like half my Chinese food one day. It was it's just to get used to city life in general was like wow. But you know what we, and I got my ass kicked there because the staff at the time at the school was so insane. It was Ralph Humphrey from Frank Zappa's drummer. He was like the top. You know, Joe Picaro. You know, Jeff Picaro's dad from Toto. Casey Sherrill, I mean, the list of staff, so I just, 
you know, I'm this hick off the farm. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a show me the direction. So, you know, it took me years to really comprehend with that one year of school. I only went one year. And uh, and then there was, there was never rock programs there. It was all jazz, Latin. Right. And I'm like, and Chad Smith from a little band called the Red Hot Chili Peppers was my cymbal lab mate. Okay. So, he, you know, it was one of those things where like, hey, stand up and say hi to someone next to you at orientation. And no one stood up. You know, every day, this guy went this way and this guy went that way. And I look over and I see Chad the same way. So we shook hands and we shared a cymbal locker. And he'd come up to me and says like, week two or three he goes hey man there's this audition for a band called the red hot chili peppers and i'm like that's a stupid name i remember saying that to him and uh he goes, i know but man they're they're they've got promises and i'm like hey good luck man never saw him that's funny that's funny kaboom so you so you do the year at the <clears throat> school and then so you say do you just say it's not for me i gotta leave no I, I i actually I, by the skin of my teeth graduated somehow okay. with all like 76s i didn't you know i was still I, I was like it was me and some other swedish guy locking ourselves in a room playing double bass fast stuff all day long you know i was too naive and too much of a punk i think to 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 understand what was really going on i just wanted to like quote do it i wanted to come out here and meet people and i just you know i didn't had no idea that all the education i needed still you know i just thought man i got so much experience i'm gonna blow people away i was really dumb and naive at the time so you get out of school. So then, what do you do? I mean, could you sit there? You, I mean, you graduated school, and you don't really know a lot of people out here. No, nobody. And, and so, but you want to be in a band. Yeah. So how do you go about finding a band? I mean, what do you what What's the process? I've heard you know like Craig. I mean, back then was it like Craigslist? No. And it wasn't the internet, so you, you don't know. You can't go. Hey, okay, I'm going to search uh, bands yeah. looking for drummers. Yeah. How would you go? How'd you go about it? That's the thing. I, I think back to no internet days now, and it's like in freaking sane. Do oh, we, yeah. Do we lived without it now you know because on the road and stuff like that there was no cell phones like we should stop at a payphone or a truck stop it's insane yeah i remember doing comedy i would play this really small small town and i had to check my messages and because you get in these runs through ohio and pennsylvania it was called the, it was a guy named keith gissner you play youngsville and jamestown all these places yeah. up and yeah you would go to a payphone <laughs> and you'd be like and you'd check it and it was a pain in the ass and it, but yeah. you, but the thing is we survived mm -hmm. yeah. so, so what do you do to get in so, a band well so you know my whole thing was like there was these things called live playing workshops and uh basically you get on stage and you perform and i'm thinking i'm gonna do as many of those as i possibly can this is gonna be great you know and i would get up and sign up for so many until they would say look man let other people have a chance so you know and so there was this one called hard rock live playing i'm like i'm gonna do this every week as many times as i can well i'd be the house drummer of the hard rock lpw well a guitar player named by the name of craig small he was teaching summer session there and he saw me playing a metallica song and he's like hey man i really like your style and at this time, my favorite label was called Shrapnel Records. And it was all these guitar heroes from Inveil Olmstein, Paul Gilbert, okay. Tony McAlpine, you know, Richie Cosson, you name it. It's just, just all the shredders come off of this. And it had very respectable drummers. You know, Dean Castronova, who's now in Journey, Atma Noor played in a million bands, Steve Smith from Journey, all these. So I said, man, I got to get on this label. He says, hey, I'm, I'm doing this record for Shrapnel Records. Well, I just freaked out. You know, I had no idea that it wasn't going to pay me and I would, couldn't pay my phone bill by doing right. this record. I didn't know that. I just thought we're going to be as big as Kiss. Because you know, you're I, still, you still have that country mentality because you haven't been out here that long. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, you know, lo and behold, I got the gig with him and we ended up, that was my first record. I started recording at 19. My guitar player got kind of bummed at the scene, that I, the one that I moved out here with from Pennsylvania. He kind of hated L.A. and and he found he found out that everyone was doing what he was doing the shredding thing. So he bailed back to back to Pennsylvania. Right so you're away. all alone now. I'm yeah. all alone now. I have no one. Just the people I met at school. You know, 
Chad's a, and there's, a rock there's star. probably like those competition, you know, like those schools, like anything, you know, you, you feel it with like with comics. That's why for me, it's like none of my friends are in the industry really. And like yeah. Troy, we both know Troy's a musician. That's not, I mean, that's different, you know, yeah. but, just, but it's that, that sometimes it's hard to be friends, especially you guys, you guys are so young yep. and you're probably so cutthroat, even though you don't know it. Yep. I mean, it must've been really hard for you to, I mean, you must've been lonely out here. And, and the thing, not only that, but I had no idea that people would blatantly stab you in the back. And okay. like, I mean, I'm off the farm where you don't lock your doors, you don't lock your cars. You, if the, if something's happening, your neighbor's barn's on fire. You drop what you're doing and you go help them. It's like out here, I had no idea that like I'd be turning my friends on to auditions that I'd hear about that I knew they really wanted, and I'd go to the audition and I'd leave and the and the keyboard player would go, man, that guy was really slamming you, like saying you're you're late always and you're. I'm like. That, Wait, I got oh. the, I got that guy this gig. <laughs> Why do, and then I thought about it, I go, oh, I heard about this. They they crap talk all day long and they will stab you in your, in your back right to your face. I wasn't used to that, so it took me years to get out of my you know. And I'll, I'll never change who I where I came from or who I am. But you do get that shell over top of you where you got your guard up. You're like, whoa, whoa. Because you know you don't you don't want to be that dick. Nope. You know, and it's always and it's so funny. A lot of times it becomes out that that dick is the person who doesn't really have the talent, yep. and they're just trying to make up for it. And it, it yeah, it's a thing. It's like you don't want to yeah. slam someone unless they deserve to be slammed. You know, if they're always late and it's your yep. friend booking a show, I don't book that person because yep. they got an attitude. And as we were talking about before, it's a really small world, and whatever, no matter what industry, you know, the acting comedians to, to musicians, it's you really you know we just got done with Soundwave Festival in Australia and I 75 bands on 14 stages I saw so many people that I never my neighbor who's on one of the crews lives a half a mile from me in, in the valley I never see the guy all year I see him in Australia so it's you, crazy it's really a small world you know so um, but you know to make a long story short you you know we did that record and then I, I thought that was it. I have a record in the stores, and you know my. So it was in the stores. It was in the stores. Well, that must yeah. be a great feeling to see. Oh, it. and was it album? It was no. Well, they just stopped. Oh. They just stopped releasing vinyl, but overseas, I got to get it printed on vinyl. That'd so. be cool though, yeah. just that see like in the back. Yeah. That was a big thing. And you know, when you were when I was a kid, the big thing about the album was like the liner notes, or just like the pictures. Like when you when, when an yeah. album when the album had a cool picture, you'd be yep. like, oh my god, you know. Or and if it had the lyrics, Forget then it. you're going, oh my god, uh, you know, I, I can. And you even though you can understand the lyrics it was just that feeling of looking at the damn lyrics yeah, going man. oh I know this I know this yep. it's, I mean come on Kiss Alive 2 that's one of the reasons I sit here today when I opened that, that thing up and I saw Gene and Paul on the fire and the drum risers eight miles in the air that's like when you're on a farm you just stare at that as you're listening to a record and you vision yourself up on that stage and it's just it's so larger than life it's sad that a lot of younger people just it's an mp3 and they don't even see the liner notes or even a picture right that's what that's what yeah that's the thing it was always the picture and that's when album covers were such an art form because they were just it was always like hip it wasn't like it wasn't a lot of time the picture of the artist and if it was it was like who's next and they're pissing you know yeah. or or you know who's uh who are you and they're on a you know it was it was cool how they were done and it yeah. wasn't like okay we're going to show tits and ass we're going to show you know yeah. like I, I went to see Sticks uh, um, at the L Right that mm -hmm. is the young uh, last Tuesday and like their album covers like Pieces of Eight you're like wow you yeah. know it's like and it just it was different yep totally it's, it's it meant something so much more and I still have a lot of those records in Pennsylvania when I go see my parents and I just pick, I pull them out now you know now that I'm 43 and I'm looking and I'm going Man, this this has had such an impact, and I would I knew who produced everything. I know who wrote the songs. It was just, it's just different these days. But you know, you can't fight technology. So so the album, the cassette, the cassette, we'll call it, uh, yeah. comes out, 
And it does it does it do well or, or what was the band called? It was called 9.0, and apparently, where ironically enough, we had an earthquake the other day. It was for what 4.4 or whatever. Five point five. Yeah. It was weird. Did you, that scared the hell out of oh, me. Oh yeah, I was right here on the episode. I was in Tarzana. I, I just I jumped. You know, because no, my my girlfriend just moved out here from back east, and mm-hmm. and we woke up. And she was had just come. She was just back east. <laughs> Welcome to she, LA. No, she moved in October. She's been <laughs> out visiting for the last year and a half. But she had just gone back from the east coast. She was visiting her mom, and uh, she woke up at, like six in the morning whatever time it was and of course then I wake up because she wakes up and that one I fell on that one scared the crap out of me because that one like went and it felt they said it was only five seconds it felt a lot damn longer than that and I'm sure you were here for that 94 I wasn't here oh see I was here and I just had a flashback and now I'm looking at my my three year old son and he's shaking back and forth and I'm going now it's way worse than it ever was because I'm shaking for him and you don't know if this is a huge one. We haven't had any for a while, so yeah, it freaked me out. It's crazy. So the the album doesn't does does okay. It, it's it's an indie. You know, it's what it is. It's like this. You know, it has its following. You know, everyone knows. Okay, strap on the record. These musicians must know something about how to play. You know, I'm not going to waste my time. We did a small tour on the West Coast in a van. You know, it was like we didn't make any money, but it was an experience. I was holding a CD and now I had product in my hand and. And at that time, accomplishing a goal at 19, that was, like, pretty big to me. It sold, like, what, I don't know, 12,000 copies? Still, and, I mean. And, yeah, and at that time, it was, hey, you know, um, what? so what happened, uh, the, the band broke up, but the, the record label owner bound us to a four-album contract. So I had three more records to make. To him, it was like, hey, you owe me three records. To me, I was like, woohoo! I want to do three. Are right. you kidding me? I want to do 3,000 more records. So... He introduced me to different people. So Tony Fredinelli, who's now in Third Eye Blind, uh, Toby Knapp, who's in still a, a metal band uh, up in Wyoming, he's he does decent for that area, um, and Michael Lee Ferkins, who's a great, phenomenal guitar player. I did those three records right after it, so like almost back to back, and that started me like, okay, now I have a stack of records to give to more national artists to try to get my name out there. So then. You know, it's like any business, you start meeting people at these various places, you know, and uh, I always tell people that are, especially now getting out and play, don't lock yourself in a room. I used to think like, I'm going to lock myself in a drum room for six to eight hours a day and get so good that no one can turn me down. And that's so far from the truth. It's all about networking. Oh, yeah, that's anything. Yeah, yeah but I didn't know that, you know, right. moving out here. Even Unless you're from a small, yeah, there's yeah. no networking in the farm no world. No way. <laughs> it's like not like, hey, you know, hey. Yeah. Hey, trade cows. <laughs> exactly. So so you're, you're, you're jumping, you're meeting all these people. Yeah. Now, when do you start playing? I know you played with David Lee Roth for a long time. How, yes. When, well, when did that, did that come from all this experience? Yeah, all the experience. And then uh, I skipped over something, which was I actually got a job at the school that I graduated from, which was uh, hilarious to me because I could barely read still when I graduated, but there was no rock program. So Ralph pulled me aside one day and said, hey man, if you can write some curriculum, let's get you in here. So once I got to be a teacher at the school, now I'm paying a couple of my bills being a teacher and playing these local bands. I had a couple original projects I was trying to put together that failed, um, as a lot of us did at that time. But the more I just do somebody's session, somebody would call me up and say, hey man, I need, there's a pop record, it's, it's this really, it's some chick that's got a spec deal on Warner's Brothers. So I'd, I'd go over and play three songs, I'd barely know the tune. Sometimes I wouldn't even meet the artist. I'd just do, and I'm thinking maybe I'm cut out to be a session guy, because I wasn't getting tours, I didn't even find out, I never knew about them. And then um, <clears throat> I was auditioning for everybody, you name it. If I could, if I was a cattle call and 150 drummers, I would stand at it. I didn't care, you know. And... Um, that led to, I found out Jakey e. Lee from the Ozzy Osbourne guitar player was auditioning one day, and I'm like, I'm the biggest Badlands 
and I love Bark of the Moon and Ultimate Sin by Ozzy. And I, I got to play with this guy. He's one of my favorite of all time. Uh, stood in a cattle call again. I was number 50 of the day. And, man, from auditioning, it's the worst thing because it's so freaking boring and repetitive. You just say, okay, let's play the same three songs that all the other Jokers have, you know. And so my whole thing was, like, I'm going to do, I'm going to learn all of Ozzy's songs that Jake played on, all the Badlands catalog, and give him something fresh. So, because I knew I was number 50, and I went in there, and I went, hey, I'm a, how about, let's play Soul Stealer off of Voodoo Highway, the Badlands record. And he's like, no, nah, let's just stick to the tape, man. I'm like, yeah, I really love that song. That's an awesome song. And the bass player's like, that's, and Jake said, no, you're playing it wrong. Yeah, it's like, and next thing you know, they're, they're congregating right. over this tune, and there's this all of a sudden new light. You know, it went from, like, heads resting on the amps to, let's figure this out. Next thing you know, we're playing Soul Stealer. Next thing you know, they're asking me to come back tomorrow. So, long story short, I get the Jakey Lee gig. That was my first big tour, that I actually was on a tour bus, you know. Now, that must be something for, you know, a kid from uh, the farm. I mean, that must just be crazy, because it's yeah. like, it's, I mean, and the crowd, I mean, what kind of, what size crowds were you playing to? It was pretty small, because it was after Badlands. It was, uh, it was all, like, clubs, and uh, sometimes we'll do a, a House of Blues type venue or whatever, but, but it's weird, you know, I'm this kid in Pittsburgh, you know, watching a VHS tape of in my underwear of Ozzy playing, you know, the Bark of the Moon tour, and now I'm on stage with this guy. So right. I didn't care if it was a Taco Bell. Like, I'm playing with this guy at a club every night. And at that time, it was brutal. Touring was, like, 22 days in a row. Like, you know, if my band now does more than three a week, we're yeah, yeah. crybabies. You know? <laughs> so. so you play with the Jakey Lee, and then where do you go from there? So that led to, of course, now I'm really meeting people because I'm at the clubs. I'm at, you know, the industry, the opening bands. I, I started meeting all kinds of people in small festivals. Now that leads to, okay, um, Jake's kind of dwindling down, you know, this, the, we've had our run on this band. Now the bass player of Arcade, which is Stephen Piercy's band from Rat, uh, said, hey, my drummer's quitting, can you finish this tour? So now that led to, okay, I'm going to finish two months of the Arcade tour, you know, so that led to, now I'm playing on a bunch of people's stuff. I started playing on a movie soundtrack here, I play on, I play tambourine on somebody's Anything to make a buck, right? Know, oh yeah, but but you're in demand, so yeah. it's great. It's like you don't care as long as you're getting paid. It's like I play a xylophone. I don't give a crap. Come call on, a, call me a drum slut. I I'll be. I'm there. You know. So uh, that led to um, this this kid. I, when I, this is now I'm back to teaching. I I do these little tours and I go right back to uh, Musicians Institute because that hired me back. What other job's going to do that? Hey, sorry, I'm leaving for two months to right. tour, but I'm going to need my job back when I come. But they would because they love the cloud of like, hey, our artists or our staff is on tour. Right. They, that build hype to the school. And people are going to go, wow, you know, we'd rather go see, wow, they're out doing yeah. it. And so it gives them that idea like, you know, well, we get done, we're going to go on tour. Totally, totally. So it led to, um, hey, you know, I'm back teaching now. And this kid, this this. He, you know, he, he kept bugging me. He was like, he, he's a guitar player. He kept sitting in my drum classes. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I just like the way you teach. I love it. Cool, whatever. He's like, and he would always name drop and talk a lot. And I'm like, kid, you're killing me. Like, you're, he's like, yeah, I know Steve I. I'm like, awesome. Very proud of you. You know, I know this guy. I know, awesome. And one day he comes in. He goes, hey man, I want you to play on my record because I have Greg Bizonet, who's the original David Lee Roth after Van Halen, you know, broke up, and, which is one of my heroes, and. I got, you know, all these big time musicians up. I'm like, kid, you're really pushing it, man. Like, you're just stop. Right. Just stop. You know, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. He's like, no, no, I promise. And he goes, I'm going to, he goes, okay, here's what I want. I named the price that I wanted. It was pretty high. And I knew he couldn't afford it. I'm just kind of being, he's like, okay, cool. I'm like, okay. And he goes, oh, and the best thing about it is we're doing it at Steve Vai's house. I'm like, now you're really reaching, dude. <laughs> so we're doing this at Steve Vai's house. Cool. Gives me the address. I'm driving to it. I'm at Steve Vai's house. And I'm like, this is really bizarre. I'm in his studio going, okay. 
anyway, you know, all I ask for when I do a, a session is give me a copy of it. Give me the CD. Send me something. So I have a copy of it for my records, files, whatever. He calls me back. He's like, hey, man, um, you know, I'm the two songs you played on, Steve, I can't write with David Roth because he's not doesn't have enough time. I'm giving them to Dave. I'm like, okay, now David Lee Roth's one of my heroes. <laughs> now you're really messing with me because Dave has been hanging on my wall since I was 10. Right. You know, so now you're, don't even mess with me, kid. He's like, no. And I, so I go, now I'm calling this kid. Hey, right. how's it going? You know, he's like, well, the good news is Dave really loves your playing on the demos and he wants you to come back down and recut them because they're instrumental songs. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So this is like, talk about a bucket list thing. Just, right, right. Just sitting in a room with Dave Lee Roth would have been enough. Playing on two of his songs was beyond. So anyway, I'm down there and he's all like, Hey, kid, how are you? So I got to go into my Rothes with my cigarette. <laughs> He's like, kid, sit down. Let me talk to you. I got to tell you something. Yeah, I love your playing. Let me uh, What if I ask you to do this? What if I ask you to do that? I'm like, he's asking me a lot of questions, and I'm just playing on his demo. You know, this is weird. And uh, he's all like... Then I'm, I'm sitting in a, in a... He's in a control room and outside. He's like, somebody take the bongo player to Starbucks. He's dragging. And then he just starts cracking. He's joke after joke. And I'm like... This is really bizarre. And I left there going, <laughs> and he shook, I shook his hand, and I go, hey, Dave, it's been an honor. He goes, no, the honor's all mine. I'll see you real soon. I'm like, okay. And the manager calls me the next day. He goes, hey, man, you passed with flying colors. And I go, passed what? He goes, didn't you hear Dave asking all those questions? That was your audition. But I'm in a studio with headphones right, on. Right, right. That's not a normal audition. <laughs> if he'd have told me I was auditioning, I would have crapped my pants. Right, right, no right. way. You know, so I got the gig, and that was 97, and that led to eight years of, of touring and recording the world. Now, what, I mean, and it's so funny. One thing, when, when David Lee Roth came out with his solo career, I, I remember the videos always cracked me up. Like yeah. the one where the guy comes up, yeah, I'll take a bottle of anything. You know, and yeah. the, the <laughs> Dave shows up with the, the hookah mat. And they were, the guy's, hey, yeah, forget about it. the guy. Yeah. They were just so funny. <laughs> yeah. What was it like playing with him? Because, I mean, the, I, mean as I, I saw the Van Halen on the, the 1984 tour. Yeah. And, you know, and I always say, like, David Lee Roth was a rock. I mean, like if you say like rock stars, like you know, Roger Daltrey was is a rock star, but like David Lee Roth is like the epitome yeah. of like like if you think of like I'm a huge Springsteen fan. Yeah, Springsteen's a great rocker. He's not a rock star. I mean, David Lee Roth <laughs> is like I mean I don't think there's any bigger rock star. Yeah. than David Lee Roth. What was it like? Was it, he was it just crazy? I mean, because people it, must just going nuts. All it's it's everything you thought it would be and more. It's like it's it's you know. Put it this way, I, I, someone said to me after eight years, they're like, eight years, they, they go, you should, someone should throw you a parade. You should have, you should get a medal saying you survived eight years with Dave Leon. And the thing is, I, my mama taught me good patience growing up. Let's just say that, you know, I love the guy to death and he was, he taught me so much. I called it the school of Roth because he's the one that said, hey kid, I don't care if you're sitting back there on the drums, you're an entertainer. Give the people a show. I don't, you know, don't sit back there like waiting for the bus look on your face. You know, like a lot of a lot of drummers have right. that. And it's not, and he's right. He's right about so many things. He taught me the entertainment business. He taught me what it's like to be in showbiz. I never knew any of that stuff. I just thought I'm providing the solid foundation for the band. And he made me look at things in a whole different way. So, I mean, it, he's it, you. You have to have a lot of tolerance to to put up with the guy because he's he's very eccentric and he's very intelligent and. He's very and the ego was just because he, it's, he's David. I mean, the bottom line is when you're David Lee Roth, you can have that ego. Yep, I mean, you yep. are a rock star. I mean, yeah. just the stories about him. Yeah. But he, but he was very helpful for you then. He was. He was. I, I love the guy to this day. I mean, he, he invited me down when Van Halen got back together. He was nice enough to invite me to the LA Forum. I mean, if you're going to rehearse, what band rehearses at the LA Forum unless you're 
my goodness, you know. And uh, I went down there, and it was really bizarre after all those years and seeing him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because uh, he's warming up, and he's doing his vocal warm-ups, and I'm in his dressing room. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not playing drums. Alex Van Halen's playing drums. It right. was bizarre <laughs> because I always looked up to Alex, too. So um, he's just so amazingly different that it, I'd be miserable at times where I'd be like, i got to get out of here. And then I'd be like playing a festival in Sweden in front of 45,000 people playing Jump and Hopper Teacher going, I was practicing these songs in Pittsburgh on the farm, and now I'm playing with it. It's, it just must be amazing. But and how do people react to him? Because, as again, as again, he's David Lee Roth. I mean, could he go anywhere? Like, like if, he, if you guys were, say, in town for yeah. a festival in Sweden, could he go anywhere? Like, if you guys, did you guys ever hang out, like, he, you know, go, try to go out and eat? Could he, he go a, anywhere? He ordered a lot of room service. I okay. mean, we, we, we traveled very high, thank God. I mean, I... It's it's. I mean, we're always in brand new Prevo buses and Ritz Carlton's Four Seasons. It was never. It was never like. It was always first class with Dave. Always. That's which which was amazing. I mean, so you know, at the Ritz, <laughs> I'd always laugh because, you know, it'd be Sunday brunch in freaking Iowa somewhere, and would roll into this, you know, the Ritz Carlton, and there'd be all these people and dressed up in their tie. And we'd come in, look like a train wreck, just, you know, no showers yet, and he's and he's like, guys, brunch is on me. Sit down. And there'd be like fifteen of us. Filling these tables and all these prissy pr- <laughs> rich people are looking at us like, well, who let these bums in here? But little they know, this guy has more money than probably all of you guys put together. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's like, you know, it, I, I put it this way. I'm writing a book, you know, a rock, of my whole life experience, just everything I've been through. And, and it's not has nothing to do with, a, you know, I don't consider myself anywhere near a rock star. I'm a, I'm a known drummer. That's I appreciate people that appreciate my music. But there's a lot of people that don't know what we go through, you know, and they just think that we just get in this gig and we become successful and we have money and they don't understand. Like I have a lot of, I had a lot of ups and downs, you know, I'd get like a record deal presented to me and then we get the rug pulled out from underneath us and, you know, you get all these promises and people don't know, a lot of that. Yeah, what I know, I don't know the music industry, but what I hear is like, the music industry is a lot harder than the entertainment industry, like the, like the acting and stuff. The music industry just seems like it's a lot, there are going to be more ups and downs because, you know, acting, yeah, you may do, but, you know, there's people I know who have only done commercials, but they do national commercials and they make so much damn money that yeah. people think, oh, well, you know, the guy's only a commercial actor. Like, yeah, well, he's making, you know, 350000 a year off of those yeah. commercials. For the music, I've always heard, like, the record contracts and then you get an advance, but then you have to sell so many albums and it seems like in the business there's so many crappy, crappy contracts. I don't know if it is now, but, like, you always hear about these awful contracts but because all these musicians were young and they wanted to deal and just these i mean it seems like there's a lot more vultures in the music industry it's, it's bad man it's like and i had like again like i said it took me years to understand don't trust anybody and that's really sad you know um i have i have thousands of acquaintance in la i have about five friends i can count you know on one, one hand that i actually trust and i could you know and that's sad man because i signed so many faulty contracts and you read the fine print and you in the first several contracts I signed I didn't hire a lawyer I was like whatever I'm on a right. record I'm going on tour boohoo <laughs> I didn't realize how much money I was owed you know through the years with back royalties and and I didn't realize that they re-aired your TV show that you got money for that and there were so many things that it was a big wake-up call and unfortunately just I've been in playing pro now for this is my 26th year of actually playing making a living doing it and I just found out in the last probably eight ten years of all that money that I was owed to back then and some people in my life now are helping me with that and it's mind-blowing it's there's a lot of snakes out there man oh yeah it's crazy yeah so so the, the david lee roth tour ends is that just it's <clears throat> just because he stopped performing or you just he went back to ben Halen, or you just sent no, him out or i couldn't 
<laughs> I, you know, like I said, I love the guy to death. Every I was desperately last couple of years looking for another original project. I had, a, I wasn't being. I wanted to make another Eat 'Em and Smile, which a lot of Dave fans know. That was the band. You know, Dave Lee Roth, Billy Sheen, Greg Bissonette, Steve Vai. That was the band that just hit everybody over the head. Like, who's going to replace Eddie Van Halen? And this Steve Vai comes right. out. Just so. I wanted to do another Eat em and Smile type record because we had the talent in the band to do it. I'm like, let's just go out and blow everyone away. And Dave decided to do a cover record. We were doing all these obscure Steve Miller songs. And then we did this DLR band CD that didn't get any push. He kind of released it himself. And it was kind of sad. I'm like, man, I creatively, I wasn't going anywhere. I was. How many times can you play Jump and Hot for Teacher right, night right. after night? I mean, I loved it. But after eight years, you're like, I have too much music inside me. I still I write on guitar and bass enough to write my own songs and help other musicians and i just needed an outlet lo and behold i, I did billy sheehan's solo record uh uh who's a you know he was in mr big talus uh god he plays in a million bands bass legend and i did his solo record and um he had threw my threw my name for the dave lee roth gig as greg bizonette did <clears throat> so after after um a while there's a nam show i don't know if you're familiar with the nam show convention yeah. it's a big music thing every year that happens in anaheim um there was a big performance for my cymbal company called Sabian Cymbals, and they said, hey, man, can you put together a band to do some original different stuff? So I put Billy Sheehan and Toshi Iketa, who was at that time the rhythm guitar player for Dave Roth, and we put together this crazy, insane uh, set, and on the bill that night were Robert DeLeo and Richard, uh, I'm sorry, Robert and Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. They were playing with Steve Ferroni, and, uh, who played for Average White Band. He's in Tom Petty now. Okay. I'm a huge STP fan, and I was like, man, what are they doing here? And they're watching us just shred, and we're just nothing like the STP stuff. And they're they're talking about me, and I could see them elbowing each other. And they said, hey, man, like, what are you doing right now? And I says, well, I'm playing with David Lee Roth, but I'm looking for another band. And they're like, we'll put, we're putting a, be- you know, a band together with Richard Patrick from Filter. And I'm like, man, let me try out. I love right. both you guys. And, and uh, so that's what happened. I went down. I played with Robert and Dean. And Richard, we really hit it off. We're all from the East Coast. He's Richard from Ohio. Those two guys are from Jersey. And it was important to them that I was from Pennsylvania. It was weird. They had to have an East Coast guy. Well, that's a certain, certain thing, though. It's like you, mm-hmm. you, you get the East Coast vibe. Even if it's a small town. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a suburb in a pretty big-sized town right in 10 minutes from Philadelphia and New Jersey. You just you get just a certain vibe. Yeah. You know, you get that. It's just that just it's different because we, we've had to deal with the damn snow and the pouring rain. You know, yeah. Out here, it's just like, everyone's spoiled because yeah. they're like, eh, we'll be late there. It's like, no, you have to get there in time. Because right. like, when I was a kid working in college and high school, if you were like late once for work, you were warned. If you were late a second time, you were fired. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't even a question. Like, well, well I don't care. Yeah. You get here early. Yep. Yeah, they don't, they don't mess around. It's like, so anyway, uh, I get the gig and now we start making a record and I'm freaking out because like I said, I'm at Stone Temple Pilots to me, they're just such beautiful songwriters there's there's a beauty about the simplistic stuff that they write and even though I've, i'm more towards the progressive side i really love that uh so we start writing a record in bob ezrin legendary bob from the did pink floyd the wall kiss destroyer all the alice cooper great records i mean just uh, you know kiss destroyer is one of the reasons i play drums today and now bob ezrin is going to be producing this record i was freaking out and uh and i'm very that's to this day the army of anyone record is probably the most proudest record I'm on, okay. you know, um, just because it was such a, the way, the process, the way it was done. Unfortunately, it was short-lived. We did about a four-and-a-half-month tour, and uh, we called it, but uh, it was weird. Within the demise of Army of Anyone, uh, we all parted. Within a month, we were in 
different bands. Richard was back in Filter. Scott Weiland had quit Velvet Revolver to rejoin Stone Temple Pilots. And then my manager was calling me up saying, Korn had a lot of uh, problems uh, with their drummers. You know, they had Terry Bozio playing a record. Brooks Wackerman from Bad Religion did a couple tracks. They had Mike Borden from Faith No More play on a tour. And now one of my favorite drummers, Terry Bozio, was going to do some of the record. I was like, man, this is, they're just crazy. And as Army of Anyone's touring, I found out that they had Joey Jordison from Slipknot filling in, doing Family Values. I'm like, what is wrong with the corn, man? They need a drummer. So as their Army was Army of Anyone was was going downhill, my manager called me and he says, hey, man, you know, they dig the Army of Anyone record. Do you, would you like to go up and just, just play? With, I go, me play with corn? Like, I literally said that. And he's like, well, yeah. I go, I'm this blonde-haired, skinny, no-tattooed, farm right. kid that's still you know what i mean like these guys look like pirates of the caribbean with their i mean come on they they I, we don't look he's like yeah but the, the original drummer had he was like a beach guy and a shaved head with you know short spiky hair he didn't look like those guys i'm like oh yeah you're right so i learned a crap load of corn songs no, i read that it says that actually on the thing that they wanted you to play five but you learned like 30 of them i did i that's that's my rule and i always give that advice to people out there i'm always like hey they're always like, what separates me from the other 100 people in line? And that's a good question. What is What does separate? I used to lose gigs because I didn't have dreads. I wasn't black. I wasn't whatever, you know. And so, uh, and especially with a band like Korn, it, it's, they're so unique. I mean, as, as much as I can adapt and play with different styles, you know, my session experience let me, you know, hi, I'm Dave. You know, uh, hi, I'm Ray. Okay, you know, five minutes later, the red light's on and we're tracking a song. And I might never see that guy again, but that's you adapt very quickly, being the so-called pro. And How do you do that, though, when you sit there and learn those songs? Do you just go home, do you get a CD, and you just start... I mean, you, I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's... Do you start, like, you just start with the CD, and you play every song through, or do you say, I'm going to learn one, then I'm going to learn another, or how? what's the process you did? Everybody's different, and that's a great question, because um, there's there's a lot of me, you know, me teaching it, at MI for 10 years, you'd think I should, I'd be a brilliant sight reader. I still suck at reading. I do, and I'll honestly admit that. Um, if I get a chart, I can get through it. If somebody throws a chart in front of me, I can t- I'm can. i a feel kind of guy. I play from the heart. So, um, perfect example, there was a movie called Repo, the Genetic Opera that I played most of the drums on. And uh, what a crazy score that was. I mean, it, the songs were up and down and changing times and speeding up, slowing down. And the in the in the guy gave me you know the director gave me a, all these charts and i'm like dude come on this is crazy you know? right i go do you have a cd he goes yeah but there's no way you can ever learn these on a cd i'm like that's kind of how i do it i'm a i'm a ear trainer like I, i'm the kind of guy where i can listen to a record i've filled in for drummers on gigs where i've had three days to learn an entire record or entire set and i pulled it off you know so um you know that's 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 just what I did. So with that repo, of the genetic opera, I, I literally just went home, learned the CD. I would listen to if it's a hard arrangement, I'll listen to it a couple times in a row. If it's really easy, I'll come back to it later. I'm like, I know I can get through this. And you just start counting bars. Okay, this happens four times. This happens eight. Right. Happen, you know, and then it starts becoming a part of you because I want to perform it. I don't want to just think about it. I don't want to have the robotic sense of like I'm reading this these notes on a piece of paper. So. Um, I got really good at doing that, learning other people's stuff and pulling it off. Um, 
I was a part of this organization called Perfect World Entertainment. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the band Steel Panther. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was the original drummer of Steel okay. Panther. Yeah. For six years at the Viper Room, we played, it was called Metal Shop. Yeah, I remember that, because I mean, yeah, it's funny, well, Steel, uh, their, their video got directed by uh, the actor Dean Cameron, right. who's been on my show. Yeah. And I just saw him on uh, Psych the other day. Yeah, so it's weird. Um, they have, they have the, they're still around, the Boogie Nights, Spasmatics, uh, uh, they have a thing called Hey Whitey Five O. it's this white rap tribute to Double Wide, the country thing. I mean, that paid my bills a lot of times when I got off the road. I'd you know, put on a wig and play disco. I'd play Get Down the Night, you know, uh, Bee Gees to whatever. And then one night, uh, we decided he decided to do the metal shop thing. And it started selling out the Viper Room. It got really popular quick because big celebrities like Steven Tyler and right. Chad Smith and uh, Meatloaf, you name it, they showed up to the Viper Room to, to sit in with us. And uh, uh, next thing you know, they're they're, you know, where was I going with that? No, we were just talking about <laughs> when you learned the corn songs. Oh yeah. So my point was, as that the, to learn um, the boogie nights drummer got his tonsils taken out, and I had to learn forty disco songs in in two days. So that was like the, another example of, of me learning stuff very quickly. So you just listen and you, you start playing them. Yeah, I start playing. I mean, of course, we grew up with a lot of those things. You you have it in your you kind of have it in your head, but you have to know the beginnings and endings, segues and all that. You know. So you go up armed with all this. Uh, all these knowledge of corn songs, which once again probably made it different, just like when you with the, the earlier stuff yeah. when you played the, uh, the yeah. Ozzy Oz, Osbourne stuff. So when you get out, of, how do you feel when you audition? Do you feel like you jived, you hit it off with them, or were you a little not sure? I would, to be honest, I was freaking the hell out because because you know they rented me this really crappy drum set, not corn particularly. It's a some company dropped this really bad drum kit off, and so and it's a, at the arena. It's in Seattle it, at the arena. There were gonna play and it was, it was joey's last night there and i'm sitting there and and the crew guys are looking at me it's noon and they're like who's this what is this guy doing here like you're ruining our this is yeah they have a routine the crew guys work right. very hard i'm sitting there and i'm like uh i'm supposed to play these six songs with with the band they're like they ain't gonna show up I'm like what do you mean they ain't gonna show up they're like they, they're, they never go to sound check i go i know but joey's last gig and i'm supposed to and, and me so i'm sitting there and, and everyone starts leaving one by one it's like one o'clock and all I hear is the hum of the PA. I'm sitting in this empty arena pretty much by myself going, what the, this is, right, right, this right. is just whack. What am I doing? <laughs> it's like 1230 or 1.30 and Monkey shows up eating a sandwich. Hey, man, sorry. You know, last day of the tour. We're, we're doing, I go, yeah, it's totally cool. He goes, what do you know? And I hand him this list of like 33, 35 songs. He's like, you know all these? I'm like, kind of. And he's like, because of course I learned their hits. They have such right. a huge, I mean, 38 million records. They got, they got some right, songs. Right, right. So. But then I also learned obscure stuff that has a lot of drumming in it. And, of course, Terry Bozio is one of my favorite drummers. I learned the whole entitled record. And uh, we just started playing. Started playing Freak on a Leash. We played um, a couple of the bigger hits. And then I just kept pushing for the obscure stuff. And then the Fieldy, the bass player, shows up. And now the rhythm gu guitar player at the time was hired. And the keyboard player that does the interludes, we're all jamming now. And I play six songs, and now I feel pretty confident about what I just did. But they're so unique and out there in what they do the way they pluck a string it's nothing like anything i've ever heard no one plays bass like fieldy right. on the planet no one sings like jonathan davis that many different voices and phrasing so i was like i was quite intimidated usually i'm not intimidated in auditions but i said hey i'm gonna give it my best shot and uh after the sixth song the bass player puts his bass down and goes all right man we're gonna talk about it and you know and uh, uh we'll get back to you and you usually when they say that you're like uh right right okay <laughs> we got other guys to look at so i literally was ripping my cymbals down like nah i gave it a shot and i was kind of bummed because i really wanted it inside and uh and it's about five minutes goes by and all of a sudden these cameras get in my face like 
you, you got the gig. We'll see you in Dublin. Congratulations. I'm like, wait, what? It was so nonchalant. Right, yeah. It wasn't like confetti burst into the <laughs> yeah. air. It was just cameras in my face, and you got the gig. And it was so bizarre. So for the next two months, I just learned the set, and we didn't even rehearse at all. We rehearsed at the venue before opening night of the tour. And I was so nervous because Corn fans are diehard. They're not like any other fans. I mean, they've got the original drummer's face. I don't know how many of his face I've seen tattooed on, okay. on people. I mean, so they're like, who's this punk? I don't care what you've done. You're new in this band. We don't know if you li- we like you or not yet. And uh, still, th- this is my seventh year, and they're still riding the fence on me. Some of them will show up to the shows, hey, man, this is like the fourth time I've seen you. You're all right. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> or or you get the, you know, the diehard fans that are like, man, you're, this is really making the band great. So you're always going to get haters, and you're always going to get, you know, I, and I'm a fan. I get it. When I see Journey, and there's this little Filipino guy up there, I'm like, where's Steve Perry? At? Right, right. But you know what? The guy's killing, and I accept the change. Exactly. So, so, so now, you're playing in huge venues with Korn. Yeah. So so what's that like? Because, I mean, I mean, you're playing in the big venues with David Lee Roth, but yeah. like Korn, it's, you know, and, and you said it's such a crowd that is so into corn what is that like playing i mean they, when you when you kill it or you feel like you kill it on stage the energy much must be amazing from the crowd insane like we just like i was talking to you earlier we got back from Soundwave, 75 bands on 14 stages and it's this ro- rolling machine that goes to all these towns in australia and the power it's, it's something about i love small shows i love playing a house of blues or type stuff because of the intimacy nothing escapes everybody's right in your face but man when you hit a kick drum and it goes out over 80,000 people. Like Rock M Ring was 80,000. And it, there's just something about that power, you know, right. and, and the masses. And you can see the wave because the sound, the way it travels, you can see the, the wave going clear of the back. It's insane, you know. But Corn's the type of band. We mostly do festivals and things like that. But we'll do smaller venues as well somewhere. And it's it's. I feel bad for the club because it's it's a pummeling, you know. Right. <laughs> we we have about ten minutes left. I, I want I want to talk about your new band, yeah. uh, the new project you're working on. With uh, we were talking before the gentleman from King's X yeah. and George Lynch. Now, the, it's 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 uh, DXM. Oh, KXM. KXM. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, how did how did you guys how did you guys come into Coots? Because now, when you play with Corn, you play an album, <coughs> and then you go on tour. And when you're off tour, then you have time to do other projects corn is so busy that we're we're not one of those bands that has like a quote cycle you know we we're always busy we're always doing something so but as a musical outlet as to be creative we always have other things going on okay. you know jonathan's got dubstep dj crazy insane stuff going on we all have our own projects um monkey released a great album called fear in the nervous system with sideband people and uh, Head has a band called Love and Death that's amazing, um, and Fieldy has his band called Steelwell that's great. So we all have our own things. I still do the sh- the shred prog rock thing on the side a lot. I do a lot of people's other records and get together and play. Well, uh, my son had a we had a first birthday party for my son a couple years ago, and you know L.A. land of flakes. You know right. you invite 100 people, 15 shows. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it, it, that's what, exactly what happened. But all these like big. Rock star kind of guys ended up showing up. I'm like, that's really bizarre. Like who? Like Billy Sheehan, you know, okay. uh, Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots, George Lynch, you know, Doug Pinnock. And all of a sudden, they're like, all these people are gathered around my barbecue. I'm like, this is bizarre, you know. <laughs> so I have this little soundproof studio in my house. And uh, the end of the night, of course, musos, we always gravitate towards the studio. And Doug Pinnock's in there and George Lynch, and they're, and they're playing on my guitars. I have this kind of not that great of a guitar collection they were kind of do you play guitar I, i'm a hack i can okay. i can write songs and enough you know and, and I, I can write songs and i play the drum track for five minutes and i spend three hours on a guitar okay you know? but uh 
they're all sitting there, and George looks up and he goes, "Man, this would be a great lineup right here." It was just me, Doug, and George. I'm like, "Yeah, that'll happen because we're so busy. You know, they're in so many bands, and King's X is still touring." And lo and behold, George was very persistent and said, "Okay, I have this Saturday. Corn's off here, King's X is off here. Can you do it?" And we just started booking sessions one by one. And man, sometimes it seems like a good idea to do something like that. Or in a situation like this, we're we're actually quite. Uh, we're even happier the way it came out because the songs ended up being quite uh the quality of them were, was really high and now it's crazy we, we're really proud of this new record we just put it out kxm nothing fancy k is for corn x is for king's x and m is for lynch mob okay george's band that's one of what it was for i was yeah. trying to figure I, yeah. I figured the x yeah but then i was thinking okay and then you know but then also you know k can be for you know it's just a lot of string okay right. so yeah it's nothing fancy but uh we're quite lazy that way but you know uh next thing you know we're it's number 31 on billboard right now and it's it's number one on amazon hard rock and it's like we're it's crazy because we're gonna tour sometime before the end of the year it's just so hard it's mainly around corn schedule you know we're gonna try to go out and uh make a dvd and but yeah i'm really happy with it everyone should check it out now, what's the process when? Because you, you guys, uh, do you all write the songs, or I mean, how does that work? Because plus, because you guys probably don't. I'm sure you, you don't probably. You probably do it more, especially now on the internet. You probably do it more satellite from each other. I'm sure you're not. I yeah. Mean, when you're when you're writing stuff, I'm sure with someone, it's not like you get together in a room and you rewrite. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, Doug moved from Texas uh, he, he, out here now, so it's awesome because all three of us are in LA, and we actually we actually did that. Our rule was about the KXM record: no one could come in with a riff already written out the night before or something thought about it had to be right then like george would come in because he's such a spasmo great guitar player god stick this out i come up with this last night blah, blah, blah. doug will nope i'm like what do you mean nope he's like right now we're gonna start something new. and i'd be tinkering around my drums and there's the group there's the beat right there and doug would start coming up with a part and that was the rule no one could tell each other what to play and no one could come in with a pre-written thing it had to be on the cuff so there's a it's, I think a lot of music's missing that on this cuff, spur of the moment, in your face rock thing, you know. Now, is there lyrics? Yeah. Now, who writes the lyrics? Doug. He sang on everything and played bass. But, he, but does he write all the lyrics? He wrote them all. Now, do you, have you ever written lyrics, or are you more of just writing? I, mean, I have. You just... I'm pretty bad. I think I'm bad. And then I read some lyrics out there, and there's some pretty sad. It's, it's, it's songwriting's <laughs> awful. You know, it's so funny. I always sit there. That's what I hate about some of these uh, talent shows. Because, you know, I remember going to the Jersey Shore and just seeing these these acoustic guys were so talented, but they, you know, they were playing, they played Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison about 85,000 times. Yeah. And they couldn't play their originals because all the people would be, oh, what's this crap? Right, you know? Right. And then you see the, here's, and it's just some crappy music. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I mean, and, and it's like, God, if you guys don't have King's X records, go out and buy them today. Like, Doug is one of the most soulful singers out there. Those guys are great. And that's what I respect about him is he's a great bass player and he writes great lyrics and he's got the soulful voice, you know. And Lynch, all the guitar heroes are freaking out because it's a different side of George on this, you know. So it, it felt good for me to branch out because Korn, when we did the Paradigm Shift, our last record we released uh, last October, it was the same kind of situation. All the Korn guys got in a room, we wrote the songs together. It was just different this way because we tracked the drums live at the end of the KXM sessions and that was it. I didn't go back and fix stuff or think about it too much or we just you know it just it's just out so so now the tour would it just be you three yeah and and uh, we're gonna i don't know how we're gonna do it but we're already talking some plans here there trying to fill up some of the holes of the corn touring you know so when when does the next corn tour start i mean how how often are you touring we we're, we're booked till september off and on i mean it's it's crazy we we uh we have two shows at the end of april in florida and uh, and uh we start rehearsals in Hanover, Germany, and we start a Euro run. We do Paris, Italy. We, we just, we just, but we weren't, you, weren't you just in Europe? 
We were in Europe a year ago, uh, last, last spring we were in Europe, and uh, uh, we did a, a totally different round. We did all the festivals. This time we're going back and doing venues. Okay. So the, we were part of, fe- we do the giant festivals once every other year, and we kind of spread it out a little bit, you know. So there's things called Rock M Rock, Rock M Ring, Rock M Park, Donington, all those giant festivals we hit about every other year. So this time we go back, and we're doing 10 shows in Russia, which, I'm, you know, everyone knows, everyone's watching the news, you know what's right. going on. It's, and I'm doing all these Russian press interviews, and they're like, how do you guys feel about coming here right now? I'm like, hey, man, we're just here to provide entertainment. We're just kinda, and now when does that start? We're starting in May, and then the Russian shows are at the end of May. So. Well, hopefully that Crimea stuff will all be done uh, by then. But I hope so. Have you ever been to Russia? <laughs> yeah, a couple times. And how was it performing there? It's different. Every every country is so different. I mean, St. Petersburg and Moscow are the only two places, and they're crazy, man. It's like uh, the European festivals. I'm sorry, U.S., but they bury us as far as the, the – they're just so much more into it. They just camp out in tents a week before the show. They're in it, man. They'll take off work. It's insane, you know. So um, it, it's it's crazy. Playing, you know, Korn's the kind of band that we play, Dubai and South Africa and – We've been to Israel, and it's you know, we don't just play Europe and Canada like a, a lot of bands. You know, we really pound the planet. You know, do you like to? Do you still like the traveling, or does it does it wear on you now that you said your son's young? It's, just... that's the only thing that sucks, man. I mean, it's funny. Everyone's like, "What's it like backstage?" I'm like, "Dude, we we Skype our girls and our kids right after the show. It's right. the most boring place you'll ever be." I sip my red wine, and that's you know, it's. That's the only thing that sucks about it. Obviously, none of us are 22 anymore. You right? Know, yeah, starts, your body feels that. <laughs> we're, we're getting new pains approaching. But you know what? We love playing for the for the. They keep coming, man. Some of those freaking corn fans. This one girl had Jonathan's face, this beautiful portrait on her on her arm, and it was her 47th corn show. And I'm like. If, if Bonham came back from the dead, I wouldn't go see Zeppelin 47. Right, times. right. Like, come on, you know. So they're just, we'll keep playing as long as people keep coming. And so the uh, no, the DM the, the KMX that's just, that's just uh, KXM. KXM. Yeah. I stuck with that. Sorry, DMM, DMX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell is that? What's <laughs> uh, So that sounds good though. So so the album. Uh, yeah. Work. Do you have Do you have a website or anything? Yeah. It's, I just I just liked you guys on Facebook. So I, I oh, saw thank your, you. Your Facebook page. Thank you. You were that guy. No. Uh, yeah. K- no. Do no, you have like eleven thousand <laughs> likes? Yeah. Yeah. K- uh, KXM official on Facebook. KXM official on Twitter. And uh, the Instagram page will be up, but uh, it's out of Best Buy, uh, Fye, uh, or obviously iTunes has it. You know. Now, when you tour with, when you put the tour together, of course you're going to play the album. Are you also going to play some of your other bands you play in, or what, how's that going to work? That's a good question because Doug, I know, likes to keep King's X to himself, and I know George still plays docking songs and stuff in Lynch Mob. So, I, I don't think we will. I think if it's going to be a cover song, it, it'll probably be something we all love okay. from another band. But but there's no telling. Yo, we haven't even thought about the set list right now. Now, if, if someone said to you, I sort of before we wrap up, if they said you could pick three cover songs to drum to, like your three favorite songs that you just go, you know, because always people say like Moby Dick and stuff like that. What would be the three songs if someone said, okay, you're doing a set, you're doing this, but in the middle, we're getting you highlight three songs. What would you pick? Wow, interesting. I still love Hot for Teacher, and I've played it a million times. Okay. There's some, it gets everybody off in the crowd. They love it. They, they move. They, they smile. That's one of my favorites. Um, Man, I, I'd say it's an obscure song, but In My Time of Dying off of Zeppelin's Physical Graffiti record. Okay. I still love playing drums to that song. It's the energy. and the, uh, Last, man, that's, you put me on a spot because I have a giant catalog Rolodex in my brain. Oh, that's all right. I, 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 just, uh, I was wondering. Yeah, I would, uh, man, let's see. There's a Buddy Rich song. I can't remember it, but I'm not a good jazz guy, but I love all the snare rolls in it. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, cool. it's Buddy Rich. Well, cool. I want to thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, was, uh, give, a, you. G- give your uh, give your info, all that info. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can follow me, Ray Luzier one 
uh, at Twitter. Um, uh, Instagram is Ray Luzier Corn, all one word. Um, I have a Facebook page. I have a couple fan pages. Um, and that's about it, RayLuzier.com. All the corn dates is corn.com. And all the, uh, there's a bunch of KXM giveaway stuff. We're giving away, like, cymbals and guitars and all kinds of crazy stuff. So check out KXM Official on Facebook. We're going to announce all that all right. soon. Cool. So check them out, people. Check them out. Also, uh, follow me at Twitter, at Cooper Talk. Also, you can send me an email at Cooper at Indy 100. I'd like to hear what you're thinking about the show and give me some guest suggestions. Also, if you have the, uh, the Android, the Galaxy under those phones, go into the Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk, and you can get the Cooper Talk app. I have about 250 episodes up, which you can also find on my website, coopertalk.net. Or if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, just type in one word, Cooper Talk, and we'll take it to there. And remember, every Tuesday night at Jimmy's Place down here in uh, San Fernando Boulevard, between Grismer and Amherst, I host Crappy Comedy. Show starts at 10. I get some of my good comic friends. So come out and see us. And thanks for listening. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your veggies, and take your vitamins. Have a great weekend.